Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School, so listen, learn, enjoy and share. Errol Gardner is Global Vice Chair for Consulting at international business services company EY. He has 100,000 people working for him across 150 different countries. And last year, his side of the business generated more than £10 billion. As you might expect from a man leading a global consultancy, he's a passionate advocate for change for companies to be consistently and constantly transforming themselves. But perhaps more unusually, he also believes that effective leaders must all make emotional connections with their staff, their customers, their business partners. He says the best way for leaders to thrive and survive is for them to be open and honest, which is why we are delighted to welcome Earl Gardner to the Business Leaders Podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be with you, Mike. So perhaps I could start uh, by asking, what is a, what does a global vice chair for consulting do? Well, um, just maybe to explain it, because you, you talked about us being a business services group, but um, we're one of the organizations, uh, I guess, known in the industry as the big four uh, within professional services. Um, and so we do four different main lines of business that we call service lines for our uh, market. So consulting that I lead, as well as audit and assurance work, as well as strategy and transactions, as well as tax. So those are the four elements across the 150 plus countries that you describe. My role is to uh, both lead and represent that consulting business. Uh, so um, it's in relation to the business driving the strategy and the performance of that business on a global basis. It also means that I represent it on the global executive of the organization. But I also have other duties, uh, I guess, which I play on behalf of the firm overall, one of which is co-sponsoring uh, social equity, which is an initiative, which is one of our key D, E and I initiatives that we have as an organization. So maybe we can get a little bit more into the detail of it, but that in a sure. nutshell is what it, what it is. Okay, so you, you, I mentioned, I think you, you came back on it again there, but this is a big, big operation, 100,000 people, 150 countries, generating 10 billion pounds. What particular leadership challenges does that pose? Oh, many and plenty, <laughs> I would say. So, uh, I, I mean, probably the first thing to understand with our organisation compared to others is that we're a partnership. So a lot of what that means uh, is that we're a decentralized organization in terms of accountability, if you like. So we have a number of partners across the world who take responsibility for different aspects of running our business. So a lot of the challenge I face is leading leaders, if you like. So right. uh, being the person who is to coordinate, to collaborate, to corral, uh, people who are partners across our business to enable them to be successful, but also to coordinate that we move generically in, in similar directions in terms of strategy and what we're trying to achieve with our clients and with our people and our teams. 
But as you can imagine, that's across multiple cultures and uh, countries. It's a, across multiple um, technical skills. So, you know, I, in consulting, I've got anything from risk quantitative skills through to business change people to strategists to uh, uh, technology folks, uh, all of who've got very different personalities, very different social styles. Uh, and very different motivations in terms of what they're looking to get out of their work. So it's about tuning into people and making sure that you are, um, to a certain extent, pe getting people aligned, but at the same time, uh, treating as much of the people and the differences of people uh, in, in a way that gets the best out of them and the contribution they can make to the organisation. Well, that, that's important because you, and you touched upon it in the middle of there um, about change because you write, you talk a lot about the need for leaders to drive change. And you're not just talking about every few years as it may have happened previously, but consistency. I think I consistently, I think I heard you say endemic change is the new business as usual. So, so yeah. why is that? Why is that? What, you know, and how do leaders cope? Well, I think that's the that's the times that we're in. I mean, you only need to look at our experience in the last two or three years to see the example of that. So I remember in, I think it was 2019, that our chair suggested, wouldn't it be a great idea if we piloted this new technology that was out there, video technology called Teams, <laughs> uh, where that we all got together and started talking with each, with our teams, um, on, on and use the video technology, if you like, as opposed to audio. And, you know, it got very lukewarm acceptance at the time, but then... <laughs> and that's putting it politely, you know, you, you kind of... Far, well, indeed. So you fast forward and then we had COVID, as you know, at the beginning of 2020. And probably within five or six weeks, we went from maybe 200 people using that platform to over 200,000 using that platform across our business. And so I, I think we've seen various advancements in technology. We've seen various external factors, COVID being a classic in terms of changing the nature of the way we do business, um, which have persisted as well beyond obviously where we've got to with COVID geopolitically responding to some of the changes we, we've we've moved from a world that was increasingly globalizing to one that is certainly deglobalizing in certain respects um, and and organizations have to respond to that so I think uh, you you uh, because technology being the underpinning aspect of that I think you always as a leader now, need to be ready to embrace the fact that tomorrow will not look like yesterday looked and therefore always be on the um, uh, the forefront of embracing that change. OK, so change, change makes people uncomfortable, doesn't it, though? You know, worried, angry, uh, emotional. And yet you say, look, it's incredibly important for successful business change for leaders to harness human emotion. Now, we all know the concept of taking your people with you, but this sounds like something deeper, grander, more broad. Well, I think we, you know, I think first thing to declare is that as a consulting business, um, you know, we are professionals, if you like, in change management. So we work with organisations, with clients, governments, business organizations, um, 
in order to effect change, and that could be um, driven by operational and organizational change. It could be implementing new technologies. It could be expanding into new products and services, new markets. So we have to help clients do that. And we've got, and, and I've been in this business over 30 years, you, you see success and failure in those circumstances and try to understand, well, what is it that makes a difference? And one of the things we kicked off uh, a study last year to look at some of the characteristics of this, we did some quantitative as well as qualitative survey, survey work with leaders in looking at aspects of this. And, and it concluded very much what empirically you would have, um, or intuitively maybe have thought uh, it was, was certainly the case that in most cases, the difference and, and the major difference between success and failure is down to a human reaction to the change. And that comes in a number of different forms. It comes in the form of the effectiveness of the leader to be able to communicate and compel and engage people to a vision of the change. So not just what it is, but why it is ha why it's happening and why it's important. It was also then about how people reacted to that, a little bit to your the point in your question, that inherently people don't like change. So how do you get them comfortable that change is the right thing? And what process can you take them through? And a lot of that is the emotional part of how they're reflecting and responding to that. And independent of whatever they may say to you in a meeting or in response to things, they'll naturally be going through a process of a level of engagement. And so the extent to which you have a culture of, uh, for instance, encouraging people to be open and honest about what is working, but also what is not working, what they feel will, you know, maybe contribute to the change that is being described or will actually, despite what management or leadership might think, will be negative to something like that. If the culture of the organization restricts their ability to say that because the leadership only wants to hear good news, that in itself sets a, an environment and a structure that makes it very difficult then, I think, for having that kind of uh, success uh, in terms of what you do. So those are just a couple of examples of some of, but there are others that and we sure. talk about things like psychological safety and the importance of people being able to express a view uh, when going through change and not being reprimanded or discouraged in terms of doing so. Uh, but the critical factor in all of this was the, the, the force multiplier was it was two and a half times more successful when these factors were embraced, more likely to succeed in those situations than otherwise. So could I wrap that all up and say, look, you know, um, the key uh, leadership skill within that is communication, is, is, is persuasion, is storytelling, is being able to, I mean, within that you have to be genuine, you have to be authentic, but it's, it's that being able to get your point across. Yeah, I, look, I think, um, yes, I think you've summarised that well. I think the the that engagement and the emotional aspect comes from the fact that we're social animals and we, um, you know, despite what we, we've talked about with COVID and moving to video technology, that we 
we like engagement with other people and we shouldn't imagine in the work environment that we can be successful without tuning into that innate human desire and characteristic to be more connected and to feel that they belong to something and feel that they're the people and the teams that they work with are aligned and, and kind of moving in the same direction. So having those skills and being able to see when those skill when when those things are not working very well and being able to spot that and and I guess having the emotional intelligence to see and spot that is, I think, a really important characteristic of leadership now, much more so certainly it was when I started my working career. OK, so last year, EY proposed splitting its global business into audit consultancy, which would have been a huge change, um, but in April, it changed its mind. So what, what leadership skills help you deal with that you know, change of plan? Well, I think you um, in, you know, in any kind of business environment, in the type of work and role that I do, uh, things change all the time. I mean, that is the nature of of being in in a the business that we run, but also the businesses that we serve as clients, that leadership changes, circumstances change that mean that you you need to course correct and do things differently. Or it may also mean that you you just have to put your plans off for um, uh, because the timing's not right and you need to think about doing that in the future. But I think in relation to the specifics of what you described, I think it it led clearly to the need to connect with people. And back to your point on the communication and the storytelling to be able to give them the narrative of why that was and be very transparent about the uh, the reasons, the rationale and and some of the issues that drove a decision of that nature. But then also give them a sense of reasonably quickly what the next steps look like, what the path forward is and and what the future direction is. So, um, you know, I think all of those things, as long as you um, are relatively transparent with that, but to a certain extent, yeah, we're an organization that is very successful in terms of what we do. It's also giving people a sense of the confidence of who we are and the organization that will be going forward in the future. That 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 you, you can work your way through the natural disappointment that certainly some people felt that we didn't move forward with that transaction uh, in the time frame that we outlined. Let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in West Yorkshire went to university yeah. in Nottingham, just up the road from here, uh, before training as an accountant. So so what do you know now that you, you wish you'd known back then? Well, I think the, um, uh, I mean, so much in a, in a way, but in in to a certain extent, you only know it because you've experienced it, right? But if I were to say to, to some of the folks, no doubt, that, that listen to this, that you know, for me, it's I have this notion of unconscious competence that that I've had throughout my uh, or certainly the latter part of my career that people talk to that. Yeah, and the, the, the analogy I, I kind of go back to is that if I think of one of the things that I was most pleased about when I was young. Is when I passed my driving test, and if you go back to the first time you ever jump in a car you you can't quite get your head around the fact that you'll ever be able to drive 
because nothing, the hand-eye coordination, all the different things that you need to do. And then you get to a point that you pass your test. And then you start driving and then you realize how many people pass their test. And you think, why was I ever worried about passing a test? There are so many people on the road. A lot of them can't drive, of course. But why was I ever worried about that? And I think if you think about your life in whatever profession, whatever career that you choose, I think when you start work, it's a very similar feeling that you, I don't know what I'm doing, how do I don't understand the the steps I need to take, I don't understand the terminology, there are lots of things I need to work through. But the reality is in time, if you look around you, uh, all the people that are in leadership roles are actually just like you. They started at the same place. So you've, you've got to believe that you have what it takes to, to make it. And I remember when I became a partner, it was the same situation. You think, oh, I've become a partner. That's so special. How could I have, have managed to achieve that? And then I went to a partner meeting and there were 2000 people there. You think, well, how can it be special? And I'm in a room with so many people. So I, I think you've always got to believe that you get to a point that you are doing things without thinking about it and you're successful and you can make things happen in general terms without giving it a moment's thought. So never be, never, never have that sense of I can't do this or that lack of confidence or uncertainty in yourself that you can't achieve because you, you can and you will um, as long as you take the same steps that in terms of mastering anything that you do in life, that you take them. OK, so on reflection, do you think it was uh, whatever you did, you did, whatever you had, whatever career path you had chosen, you'd have ended up as a leader? Well, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, it, you, you again, I were looking in the rearview mirror, if you like. And what I know is there are a number of checkpoints in, in the career I've I've had that you could, there were forks in the road, if you like, that you could see that I could have gone in a very different direction. But you'd like to think so. But I, you know, if I go back again to when I started work, I I had zero confidence in terms of entering the workplace. Yeah, really? so I, yeah, so I had, uh, I remember, just, I can remember all kinds of barriers that were in my head in terms of, concerns you met you mentioned my background in West Yorkshire so I came to work um, uh, on a full-time basis for the first time in London so I had no support base here I had no family and friends here it was a it's a very unusual environment and then going into professional services um, in 1990 when I did was a very different world than it is today uh, and obviously as a a black person doing that as well. It was uh, I was uh, not to say I was unique, but I I was <laughs> in in a very clear minority at the time. And so you 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 have a number of things that are working against you and and, and making you think that you shouldn't have aspiration. You shouldn't think about uh, doing anything um, in many ways beyond the constraints that you see around you. But I I look I've. I've been very fortunate that, um, uh, as I say, forks at the road that I could have made different choices or people who have helped me along the way could have 
uh, not helped me, if you like. Um, but I think I'd like to think that in the end, I would have found a way. Um, and in the end, not because I aspired to be a leader, but actually I enjoy being a leader. Wow. I enjoy um, the responsibility, the accountability, and I enjoy helping and developing other people to become leaders as well. And and right, well, and that leads us very nicely on, as I'm I'm sure you've done ever so kindly. Thank you very much. <laughs> is 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 you talk and have spoken about the importance of finding and learning from good mentors. And um, who were your mentors? Well, I uh, with that I'll keep the uh, the names um, uh, if you like discreet, if I may. But maybe just to describe two or three uh, individuals in terms of what they did for me. So. I think the first person was um, a senior manager that I worked for, actually a director at the time, who who asked me to lead a project, which was actually a an IT development team uh, for a client, and I had no technical background whatsoever, and so my background was in accounting, as I as, as I think you you touched on earlier, and so I I had no real understanding of what they were doing. I had no real sense of what I could offer them in terms of help and direction. But he obviously saw something in me in terms of doing that. So I accepted and then went on a journey of learning and, you know, was, you know, I, I kind of jumped in with them to kind of work through the technical skills, what you were doing, why things went wrong, how we could fix them. I learned a lot from them. Uh, but in doing so, I think they they enjoyed and respected that. But therefore, I, in many ways, subsequent to that, pivoted into technology in a way that arguably I would never have done. Probably, therefore, for the last 25 years ago, a lot of driving technology in what I do has been a key part of my development. The second person had the confidence in me to say, you should become a director. And to do so, you should move into financial services and I'll sponsor you to do that. And I was like, well, why do I want to be a director? I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. I enjoy working with clients, et cetera, et cetera. But he pushed me. Um, and that was, I think a lot of people in work can get in a comfort zone of where they are and being happy um, and enjoying what they're doing and waiting a little bit for organizations to reward, reward them. Uh, for that. Whereas he was saying, well, no, you need to be more proactive if you want to uh, make a step change. And I that wasn't in my mental model at the time. And then the third individual who's helped me uh, to become a partner as well as my progress as a partner in a number of different stages. And he and I've worked together over a number of years. He made a huge difference in terms of giving me the confidence to move up to that level. But then also challenging me to be different. So, you know, we we all have our blind spots. We all have our mannerisms and attributes. So all three of these people actually were completely different to me in different ways. So a, a technician, somebody who was super analytical, and then somebody who was actually very charismatic and um, great leader, big picture, but not into the detail at all. And they've all challenged me to be very different at different points in my career. But the, the key bit I would say about mentorship, and it's the difference between mentorship and sponsorship, I'd say, 
is I know that all three of those individuals supported me when I wasn't in the room. And one of the key aspects of that I think any individual going through their career needs to, to be aware of, it's actually what is said when you're not there that matters, as opposed to when you are there, and how they advocate and represent for you in other forums on your behalf. Yes, I think we all have great experience of that. Absolutely. And it sounds, I think this sounds like a deaf question, actually, now having sat and listened to you for the last 20 minutes, but do you still get a buzz from your leadership? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I, well, I'm inherently, I, I feel blessed because I love what I do. I, I've always um, uh, enjoyed my career and the different aspects of what I've done. Um, and now I'm in more of a leadership role, so do uh, less in terms of client engagement, client involvement on a day-to-day -day basis, which I also love. But I think just driving, um, as I say, helping and empowering others, uh, being and an overseeing the strategy of a business like this at a time of such significant change in the world, and I guess as an organization like ours, you see so much as well. So, um, you know, if you think about a lot of the issues that are happening in the world that affect so many people, companies uh, and countries, we're right in the middle of a lot of those things. So you get a line of sight and visibility of that, um, that oftentimes uh, you, you, I would not have an opportunity to see that in different different roles or different professions. So no, I, I do uh, still very much get that, get a buzz every day. Yes, and you can you can see that from where I'm sitting as well. Absolutely. So in terms of issues, you're a member of the Executive Leadership Council, which is a, is a global organization committed to helping more black executives achieve positions on corporate boards. And again, I've heard you say that 30 years ago when you walked into meetings, you were usually the only black man in the room. How important is it for modern leaders to build diverse teams? Well, I think it's interesting you, you call out the 30 years ago. I, was, I, I think, and maybe this is just a function of, of uh, uh, I guess, becoming a leader and having more senior leadership roles. That is still very much the situation, actually, that in a lot of, a lot of environments and a lot of forums, I am still the only black person, let alone black male in the room. So, um, you know, but I'm used to that now. Um, and I think part of my role is to hopefully make that not be the case for uh, people coming through. But I, to, to your central point, I think, um, and you could maybe say as the self-interest speaking here, but I, the reality is that diversity is critical in any dimension of, 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 the business dialogue that you look to. So I think clients and customers increasingly expect it. So if you look at it in terms of um, connecting with your customers, your clients, whoever they may be, they want to see that. I think um, clearly as you run organizations, you see that diversity with it brings different points of view. And what you have when you have singular points of view is is generally not great outcomes because you you don't see all the different potential options that you are and you haven't made informed choices around that and i think having people with different backgrounds um uh, what whatever you know uh, dimension of diversity you look at i think is critical 
uh, in terms of doing that. So getting to better, better decisions. But I think also if you think about it in back to the aspiration uh, topic that I mentioned earlier, I think it's critical for any organization uh, that if they want to inspire talent to reach its natural potential, that people, it doesn't matter, be it their gender, be it their ethnicity or whatever other um, aspect of diversity that they, they have, that they see people that are like them so that they can aspire to be like them. Because I think it's one of those critical barriers, I think, uh, for people to not see that and therefore not to succeed or to go elsewhere. So I think, you know, and organizations, we talk about the human part of it. Most organizations, whatever they do, be that, I mean, we're a services organization, critically rely on our people to deliver um, our revenue for us, if you like. But even if you're a product company, even if you make things, your people are so fundamentally important to your success that if you don't widen the talent pool as far as possible to bring the best in, then you're only harming yourself. So Shoot I think yourself in the foot. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, that's fantastic. I mean. Uh, we're coming to the end now. Thanks very much for all your time. But I just want to ask you the one big catch-all question. Um, you know, you you studied in you studied in Nottingham, and this is a as this is a podcast for the Nottingham Business School. Many of our students are on a on a, on a leadership journey. So if you, I mean, we're not there's not really the young students who are just starting out, but there are students uh, who are halfway through their leadership journey. But if you were to give one piece of leadership advice to all of them, what would it be? I think it's very always very difficult to to give one. So if if I may, I I I just say here's one, but I'm going to say it in three things. But um, find something you enjoy doing because if you're passionate and you enjoy doing it, um, then work's never a chore. It's something you will you'll aspire to do better at. You'll because because no matter from a leadership perspective, it's critical that you are very good at what you do. I think you have to be curious. Um, so you want you have to want to learn every day. And, and I don't mean learn in an academic sense. I mean, be curious about what's around you, about what what makes things work versus what makes things not work. But also take risks. We haven't talked about it today, but I think another critical part of my career has been around um, being prepared to do something. I talked earlier about the, what my first mentor pushing me to run a development team. I would not be where I am today had I said, well, I can't really do that. So I'm not going to go go ahead. So be open to taking risks because that's in the place that you'll get the maximum reward, I think. And I just say in terms of your skills, because you're talking to mainly a lot of students, generally speaking, it's not about IQ. That's it really a, is. That, so it's the social skills it's the it's the emotional intelligence that's what gets yeah. you through yes I'm so okay. I'm, i don't want to say i know this is to i mean i went to university i studied i i did professional exams all of that's super important but it's a hygiene factor at the in most obviously we've got some things that highly rely on some very bright and intelligent people doing some outstanding things but in a lot of what we do, it ultimately comes down to your EQ and, and how and you relate. 
and you can and you can learn that can you you're not just it's not something that you're just born with it's something that you can learn and develop absolutely yeah of course yes of course but you it's back to that curiosity it's being prepared to change it's being open about what works and what doesn't and therefore um examining yourself to be different and being and being prepared to do that and i think that's I mean, we're all, we are all different. So it's not some people are naturally gregarious, extrovert, all of these things. It's not about that one style works. Because I'd say naturally I'm an introvert by um, by style. Yeah, very much so. So it's not about who you are and what your personality is. It's just about being much more open to being curious about who people are, what makes them tick, how they will work differently, how you can make that work, as opposed to the rational of telling people what to do, what the benefit is, and therefore get it done. And I think the balance of of getting that right, I'm saying it's always about balance. But uh, as I say, as you're talking more, more, more to students out there who, we know what our school and university system focuses a lot on the accumulation of knowledge. A lot of the knowledge you need to accumulate beyond that into the world of work is much more about the knowledge of how people do things and what that looks like. And that's a very different skill set that you need to to be ready to embrace uh, as you enter into the world of work and certainly into the world of leadership. That's fantastic advice. Errol Gardner, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very, very much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with the chair of the FA, Debbie Hewitt, Michelin-starred chef, Sat Baines, or radio programmer, Dick Stone. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins. John Collins.